Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. This is an interactive, interactive podcast designed for audience participation. Come talk, talk, text chat, or listen live at TalkShoe.com. Wow, that was confusing. I'm totally confused. Yeah, I was a little confused myself. And and I thought two weeks ago, on our last Winecast, that you promised that we'd hear the music tonight. Oh, Am I incorrect man. on the date of that? I thought uh, we'd hear know, the music. We were going to have music. Let's, let's check this out here. Let's see if I can uh, get this to go. Um, all right, here comes the music. That is sounded like a Pink Floyd concert. Let's go. Welcome to Cellar Dwellers, home winemaking talk cast with Dave Nelson and the other guy. Nobody says I don't keep my promises. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> now, is the intention here for the technology to get better <laughs> as we go along, or, or backwards? I, I'm not sure. Yeah, we, uh, that was done uh, totally impromptu, folks. Uh, we had some technical difficulties tonight, as we always <laughs> seem to. It wouldn't be a wine cast and without that. We just held the uh, digital player there up to the uh, side of my mic. But what the hey. Hey, it's the Cellar Dwellers back. Back for another show after a week off, although it's probably, for different reasons for both of us, been about the busiest week off we've ever had. You were busy? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. I go riding through Arizona and uh, have a grand time while the grapes come in and somebody has to work his buns off. I hope you didn't drop any grapes on the floor. I hope I didn't drop any grapes either. Well, so I am uh, I am Dave Nelson, the numbers guy, and you are the other guy, the passionate one. The passionate one. Now, there is so much, so much we have to cover. I don't know how we're going to cram it all in tonight. We won't. We'll just take longer than we're supposed to. <laughs> okay. So the 30-minute talk cast is out the uh, window. Out Maybe the 60-minute talk cast is out the window. Just remember, the more you drink. The better, better we, we sound. sound. Unless, of course, you're riding th- 600 miles through the deserts through the and mountains and flatlands of Arizona. Arizona. That's where I was last week. In Seven case, days. Just let us sound bad. Yeah. Gosh. Seven days. Well, tell us your story. There's, I, I can't wait to hear. And just for listener's sake, uh, it should be noted that we have actually not seen each other since almost two weeks ago. And we really have not talked at all. Of course, we would have liked to maybe in the last half hour, but we held it for the show. So you're going to tell me live about your bike trip, live? and I'm going to tell you live about the Cabernet and Grenache. Oh, my gosh. I missed the, I missed the grapes and the crushing. It is my favorite time of the winemaking year. The wine is in the basement. It's, it's yeasting. It's bubbling. The cap is forming, punching down twice a day. But we'll come to that in a minute. Tell us about... Well, real Arizona, quickly, yes. and 
What what possessed you to sign up for a 600-mile bike trip? Well, it was a challenge, something I always wanted to do. 565 miles through Arizona, from the southern rim of the Grand Canyon down to Tucson. It's called GABA, the Great Arizona Bike Adventure. And it's it's literally the hardest bicycle ride or tour in the in the country unless you're doing a true cross country, you know, fundraiser deal. But it's been it was its twenty uh, sixth anniversary, twenty six years they've been doing it, and it is tough. Seven days, uh five hundred and sixty plus miles and um lots of climbing. I've never seen roads like this. We were in basically almost entirely national forest or Indian reservation. And um, there were climbs through um, canyons that 10 miles uphill. Just picture a steep road in Pittsburgh. Not the very steepest, but a steep road in Pittsburgh or wherever you are in California if you have roads. And a lot of listeners out there living in the flatlands. Yeah, but imagine not Ohio. This steep, was not Ohio. Steep roads. <laughs> For 10 miles up. So 30 about 34,000 feet of climbing throughout the week, which is just incredible. It was extremely difficult. Winds up to 30 mile an hour headwinds. Oh, Roads oh, man. that I would normally be going a, a small, what we call a false flat, which looks flat, but you're actually going uphill. You'd normally be doing about 14, 15 miles an hour. Lowest gear, muscling my legs as hard as I possibly could, going crawling six miles an hour for 40 miles. That was just one part of one day. So it was tough. Wow. Really tough. Now, how many people started this and how many people finished it? Well, 130 riders, but only 40 of us completed all seven. The whole course. Days. So whole you could course. climb into like a chase van or something if you weren't yeah, making wagon. it that you, day. You just, when they, they just drive by, they had a couple of uh, trucks, uh, pickup trucks and vans, and you could just give them the thumbs down as they go by and they'll stop pick you up. So some people would sag in the rest of the whole day. We had one morning where it was 55 degrees. In Arizona? Arizona, we're at we're at seven thousand feet. Well, okay, yeah, time. elevation is yeah. going to cool you off. So, uh, hey Jerry, hey Mike, welcome to the show. By the way, all right. It's, hey, how you doing? We're thrilled to have you. It's such a great time of year. We're just recounting the story here of the passionate one. Great Arizona ones. bike adventure. Great so. Arizona bike adventure. That's where I was. And one quick wine story. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wondering, did you at least get wine? Uh, you, you did have evenings and probably some nice meals and bed and breakfast. We did. And masseuses and, and exactly. vino. Exactly. Not much vino, more beer than vino that we'd have at the end of the rides, which was a lot of fun, a lot of great, great folks. But one great story, if you are a wine aficionado, stay away from Gray Mountain, Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> there is only one motel and one restaurant and one uh, gas station, which has this huge sign, beer and wine. Well, let me tell you the wine selection. Boone's Farm Apple and Boone's Farm Red <laughs> Apple. And that was it. Oh. I was so thrilled when I saw that sign. Wine. I wanted a bottle of anything just to relax and go to bed. <laughs> anything <laughs> but Boone's Farm. <laughs> Next week, we'll taste that on the show. <laughs> what year should we get? Oh, there's so many choices. <laughs> April or May? <laughs> oh, it was hysterical. Uh, that is sad. But anyway, I missed one of the best times of the wine year. I missed the crushing, oh, the stemming. It was incredible. I, I want to tell the crushing, the stemming story, and... Uh, 
two more mistakes. I always seem to make some new mistakes every year. I definitely made two That's a show that we can keep going <laughs> major <laughs> mistakes this year. But uh, first, uh, our vino for the day, our virtual wine tasting going on all over the world, unless, of Worldwide. course, you're listening to this on Monday morning as you drive to work. But, uh, Passionate One, what are we drinking tonight? Well, tonight we have two wines from the same winery, BV. Uh, we have a we have a, but two different qualities from the same vintage, the 2003. Uh, we have the BV Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon, and we also have the 2003 BV Rutherford Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. And Dave, you're a little bit more of an expert about this. I know this is one of your uh, one of your wines that you well, really I, enjoy. The Rutherford. I really like BV, and of course the Rutherford grade is. Uh, one of my favorites, although the true class act of BV is the Georges de la Tour Private Reserve. Although here, what do we pay for these uh, passionate one? Gosh, how would I know? <laughs> oh, you've yet again taped the receipt to the bottle. You know, this is a You're new... busting me on this show after show. By the way, I want to point out it's the same receipt on the same bottle as it was last show and the show before. You keep coming back to the same point. Uncle, uncle. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Rutherford was twenty-one dollars. Uh, that sounds right. And the Napa was seventeen. Okay, which uh, that's so a little you're not, pricey you're, on the Napa, frankly. Yeah, I Dave think, in California, it's probably you know. Yeah, Dave. Eight and Twelve. Uh, I, I'm guessing David in California, you you have probably underdone us again. Uh, did you find the BV? The Napa was thirteen. Thirteen, so we're we're four dollars there. Well, that's that's normal. that's actually less of a premium than we usually pay here in the great state of Pennsylvania with our liquor control board. So, but there was a price difference here in PA of uh, only what four dollars, right? Right, which actually seems like a, a smaller spread than what I've seen in the past. So, I think we we got a fair deal on the Rutherford, and we we overpaid, frankly, for the Napa, the lower grade. But we're doing a little experiment here in the uh, in the studio. We're doing a double blind tasting, and what we did was we labeled the bottom of two styrofoam cups and poured uh, the the wine as labeled into each of the styrofoam cups and mixed them all up and then poured it into these nice glass uh, glasses and. We now don't know what's in which, but we can decode it as soon as we look at the bottom of the styrofoam. So, so we'll passionate one, which one of these do you think is which? And, well, and by actually, the way, I haven't tasted them yet. So all I, right, so I, taste uh, away, and I have to send out uh, a thanks to Jerry, who's joined us tonight, uh, for a wonderful gift that we've received in the last two weeks. Jerry has uh, given us... Now, Jerry, is there an official name for this type of glass? It looks like a... Um, like a Riedel style glass in terms of the shape and as if you cut off the stem. And that's so what it's called. I think it's a stemless wine glass. A st- a- well, that's a clever name. The stemless wine glass. We've been using styrofoam stemless wine glass for years. <laughs> <Yeah>, we have. <laughs> but uh I, I like it. Um it's it's convenient, especially uh after you gave me these, I went out and bought another four for our wine cellar because you know, who wants Riedel wine glasses with tall stems that can be knocked right. over? But on the other hand, who wants to drink out of styrofoam? And once you uh, presented us with these two stemless uh, goblets, it was like, 
brilliant. I have to tell you, I, I really dig them. I mean, they, you have the same feel in your hand. You can stick your nose down in there the same way. It has all the benefits with, uh, without the downside of the thing tipping over or cracking the stem. So I really like it. And by the way, I don't think there's any question which is which here on the wand. Well, I don't think so either, although I'm wondering, we'll see if it was the luck of the glass or whether we were fooled. So which one do you believe is which? This is the Rutherford of okay. the stemless. Okay, so in the Agreed? stemless, I totally agree. Um, in the stemless glass, uh, tasting both of these wines, which of course are only separated by about, what, 20% in price, but, uh, you know, nice uh, black cherry, I'm getting a lot of licorice, uh, mm -hmm. tannin in a young wine, but there's something about the, the stemless wine that is just, I don't know, more delightful. It's a little bit smoother. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more sophisticated in the flavor. When you taste the other one head-to-head, -head, it's just harsher, sharper, um, not, as, not as developed. So shall we, shall we, uh, we, we've basically built ourselves a nice fallback excuse here, by the way, because if it turns <laughs> out that the lower grade wine is in these nicer stemless glasses. And again, then we'll be glad we paid $17 for it. <laughs> well, and we'll also be able to tout the stemless glasses as really contributing to the flavor of the wine. But, all right, so let's see. We've got, uh, we're going to reveal here the bottom of the stemless cup. It says Napa. Napa on the bottom of the stemless cup. We and were both wrong. We were both wrong. The Rutherford. Did the I more say the stemless <laughs> Yes, you did. I meant the That is so interesting. So the Rutherford is in our wine glasses with the stem, with the gold top, and neither one. Now, we just poured this. Here's what I no think breathability. Here's our fallback. Okay, sort it out here. Try to dig us out of this hole. The Rutherford needs about another 15, 20 minutes to breathe. It's already tasting, op opening up and tasting better. Boy, that is so interesting. So we both liked the Napa, the cheaper out of the grade, straight out of the bottle, right. although it might have been these nice stemless glasses that Jerry presented us with that, uh, you know, frankly, they are much bigger, they're more open, you are going to get uh, probably a nicer aroma out of them. So, frankly, the glass could have been a confusing factor there, but let's see how this goes and whether we can retrieve our honor as the show goes on. But that's not uncommon for a better wine to not taste as good Immediately after pouring. Okay, well, we, we shall see uh, as we open this up. Um, by the way, Mike on the chat has said, uh, must have your dark chocolate for this tasting. And um, he's glad he chose the Napa tonight, so he didn't go out and spend on the expensive stuff, which so far we're not liking as much. Um, I read an interesting article, and we're going to go back to this in, in one of the next two shows. But when you eat a food that has substantial fat content, whether it's chocolate or cheese, it dramatically tastes, changes the taste of the wine you're drinking. So I have a, a little experiment that we're going to try, again, sometime in the next one or two weeks, where I'm going to get a wine, and then I'm going to give you some chocolate and some cheese to work on, and then I'm going to give you back two wines and see if after eating the cheese, your palate is modified enough that you can no longer pick mm. out the wine you first had. Mm. And we can then try some before and after tasting and, you know, what do you get out of it uh, before and after. So this, this could be quite fun. Apparently there's quite a science developing on consuming fat with wine. So, Mike, I love your comment about the, uh, the chocolate. I think dark chocolate uh, or, 
an exotic cheese. And, and if you ask me, the more mold and the more color, the better, is really going to enhance the flavor of your, of your wine. All right, so on to my favorite time of the year. This is Crushing such stemming. an awesome time of the year. How did the grapes look? All right, so I, I talked. Uh, you're off riding in Arizona, and I do have the most admiration for that. It's a great accomplishment, similar to uh, the marathons that I've run over the years. Just something that most people never do, and you just, even though you're hurting, or at least I was hurting pretty bad when I finished 26.2 miles. It's it's just such a great accomplishment when you do something like that. And, really you know, is. almost 600 miles on a bike, uh, truly amazing. So um, while you're off riding, and by the way, we are going to ride. Are we not in, uh, by the way, welcome to the show, Alpha King. I see you've dialed in. We'd All right, to, Alpha King. We're going to talk about the unbelievable gift oh. that uh, that we have received from you. Uh, in a few mo- moments, but let's get to, to the crushing, and of course, our, let's finish our tangent here about the riding. So you've done this ride, and next year we are going to ride in the fall in either France or Italy, or maybe Spain, but somewhere in wine country in Europe for a week, and just tour the wine cellars of the world. Absolutely, that is my vision. It's been two years since we did this in in Sonoma, right. and it's time to go do it in Europe. That will that's that's a a good deal. We're, we're going to look. In, we're going to do that. That's our plan. It. All right. So here's what happened this week. We got a call from Carl. Carl the great. Carl man. the great man. We've had him on the show twice. He's an unbelievably knowledgeable person about produce. Uh, it was Wednesday, and he said, "Dave, I think I've got a line on that Cabernet that you guys got last year that you liked so much from Lindy Vineyards." Uh-huh. And apparently Lindy of Lindy Vineyards is a Ms. Lindy who cares deeply about the quality of her product, very attached to the grapes and the people who make wine from her grapes. Now, this is, at least at this point, indisputably the best wine we've ever made, the 2005 Cabernet. No question in my mind. And so I'm really excited, Carl says. I've got some coming in. And I talked to him again on Friday. And he says, looks like it'll be here Saturday. We connected on Saturday, but late in the day, and it was too late for me to drive over. So one of the things Carl can do is he can put the wine. He's got uh, both refrigerated trucks, 18-wheelers right on the property, and a refrigerated area in the back. So Sunday morning I get up, 5 a.m., feeling at peace with the world, quickly drove to, I decided to make this a big triangle. Since I'm going to drive all the way to Cleveland anyway, decided to drive up to our lake house on Erie, shut it down, winterize it for the for the year. Spent a couple hours there, pumped the water out of the water system, took all the food out of the refrigerator, loaded up the car, put the kids' bikes in the back, and hauled off towards Cleveland. About noon, I pull into Cleveland. And the first thing that Carl uh, had to say was, Dave, would you like to try some of my Chianti? And it's like, <laughs> uh, is this a trick question? <laughs> so uh, I, I had a delicious glass of uh, actually more than one. Uh, in case there are any state troopers listening, we won't get into all the details. But Carl was um, sharing wine with his customers. And as usual, it was it was Sopranos Day on the set I've never actually been there on a Saturday or Sunday before. There were more people than ever before. And he told us this. Don't come on, you know, if you can avoid the weekends. But he's down to his last. Ah, here's the 
October 8th receipt, day after my birthday, 872 pounds of premium Cabernet Sauvignon Alexander Valley Lindy Vineyards at the same dollar thirty a pound that we got it from from him last year, which is amazing to me that you can get this caliber of a Cabernet grape for a buck thirty a pound. Wow, unbelievable! Refrigerator, refrigerated truck, right, right out of the, the uh, truck, all the way to Cleveland for a buck thirty a pound. It's uh, it's amazing, and then hard he to believe. puts it on his forklift, and I hauled my trailer over there on the back of the uh, Toyota Sienna, Sienna minivan. And while I was there, you know, we've had a lot of people tell us about good luck they've had mixing in maybe 5% or thereabouts of Grenache to their cab or cab blend. So I took the plunge, and uh, for another $43, which is, it seems like the deal of a century, that was 70 pounds of Grenache for $43. Now, the one thing I've got to say about the Grenache grapes was they're not nearly as deep in color as the Cabernet. I mean, the Cabernet are just really deep, dark purple. And the Grenache are, um, they, they struck me more like what you would see uh, red table grapes at the uh, grocery store. In what, color, but not in size. They're right. Still small. Still like small, a little bigger than the blueberry, blueberry size yeah. Cabernet. But, but uh, anyway, so we got 70 pounds of Grenache, drove it home, arrived home around 4 o'clock, and I must say that uh, your family really did you proud in your absence. Uh, can I name names? Maybe not. Let's just say... The your, other son, the other <laughs> wife? Yes, your wife, <laughs> your son, was it your brother, I think, who yes. uh, all showed up? The other brother. Our skiing friends, uh, Greg and Kimberly, came over. Oh, yes, My indeed. wife, Catherine, came down. And uh, this year... We just did the crush right out. It was it, it, oh, it's the most beautiful day. It was 72 degrees. Wow. Robin's egg blue skies, sunny, and it was just so incredibly delightful. We brought the crusher destemmer out right onto the cement pad, the, the outside of the garage, my driveway, and we crushed into uh, – we have a um, – 60-gallon red fermenting tank that's very wide, so we can put the crusher destemmer right on it, and it's just perfect. The width of the fermentation tank matches the drop zone of the crusher destemmer, and then out the end come all of the stems, mm -hmm. which we could then throw over the side of the, the driveway, which, by the way, has my property smelling unbelievable right now. It smells better outside than inside at the moment. We crushed into this big fermentation vat, but then we put it into our 60-gallon food-grade uh, barrels, which turns out, when we get to my mistake, to be a, a critically important and valuable step. So uh, we have three of these food-grade 60-gallon barrels and this one big you know, crushing fermentation vat. We went through the crush in about an hour, did the Cabernet first, did just a quick hand cleaning on the crusher destemmer and then switched over to Grenache. So there's probably a little bit of Cabernet in the Grenache, mm -hmm. but we filled up two 60-gallon barrels with the Cabernet, uh, 872 pounds, as we said, and two 5-gallon pails with the Grenache. Now, at that point, we stopped for the day. We all went out and sat on the deck. We drank three bottles between the six of us, and my wife wasn't drinking, so it was really the five of us, of our 
previous year's production, which is, you know, another really nice thing about about doing the crush. Everyone went home, and then I went out to do the final measurements. Boost up the potassium metabisulfite, the SO2 level. The Cabernet came in at a, an SO2 of 30, boosted it up to 50. The Grenache was much lower. It was more like 15, and so I, I added more potassium metabisulfite to boost it up to 50. So got to that right level. And I think the, um, the developing wisdom on red wines at this point is you don't want to go past 50 parts per million if you hope to do a malolactic fermentation. So in the past they said between 50 and 100, but frankly, if you go up 75 or 100, your chance of doing a, a, a malolactic fermentation is about zero. So um, we got that going. Check the pH. Check the sugar. The sugar's a little lower, lower this year than what we've seen in the past. I think it's because we had a colder year. Remember, it started late in California, and uh, still we got this Cabernet in more or less the same time, even a hair earlier than we did last year. So our sugar level is starting out at about 22.5 to 23 bricks. Now, again, ideally you want to be in the 22.5 to 24.5 range. We've been a little high in years past, so we have sort of high alcohol wines. But this year, I think 23, that's great. Uh, we're a little high on pH, which again is good because you can add tartaric acid to bring the, it's not so much the pH that you're tracking, it's the total acidity. Right. Or total acidity or uh, titratable acidity, I think is the proper technical term came in a little bit on the low side. And frankly, I've been so busy, I haven't boosted the acidity. But you can add tartaric acid, which I'll probably do tonight or um, early tomorrow. And got all this done and everything sort of balanced to the right place with the idea that I would add the yeast in the morning. Well, I um, had to run out Sunday night, came home late, and wanted to move the wine into the basement. Now everybody's long gone. My wife's in bed. The kids are in bed. Hello. And I've done a lot of moving of refrigerators in my life. Uh, I used to be a landlord. And um, so it didn't daunt me that I had 450 pounds of grapes on the hand truck. I need to move out of the garage or outside the garage down into the basement. We want to be temperature controlled at this point. We uh, we don't want to be, you know, it's starting to get a little cold in Pennsylvania, down to 55 degrees at night. A uh, little cold, you want the temperature to rise so you get a good fermentation. Don't get that stuck fermentation. And um, I know I'm droning on. Here's what happened. Try to move 450 pounds on a hand truck down the set of steps that goes to the basement. It turns out that that's a lot more than your average refrigerator weighs. And that thing... When I put the hand truck right on the edge of the steps, I mean, it just flew down the steps and pulled me with it. I'm, I may have a broken toe, but for a moment, the wine's life flashed before my eyes because I had no control over the hand truck at this point. And what happened was I have one of those, um, I don't know, it's a, a burlap mat, the, sort of the woven, I don't know what that mesh material is, but it's about an inch thick at the bottom of the basement stairs. And when that 55, 60-gallon barrel, 450 pounds of grapes, hit the bottom of the steps, it's cement below. It could have easily shattered were it not for that you know, one-inch pad that's going to sort of distribute the shock. But then the thing, I, I saw it tipping forward. I mean, I thought it was just going to, you know, it's laying back at 45 degrees. It hits and stands straight up, and I thought it was going to go completely over. But 
thankfully, the fluid dynamics of 450 pounds of grapes in a relatively narrow barrel, it's so heavily dampened that it just stood straight up. And it was like, it, it, it almost didn't look like a normal behavior of something. It should have gone flying forward and spilled all over the floor. And uh, it, by some miracle, I think maybe God personally intervened, not wanting us to lose <laughs> this quality of grapes on the basement floor. But there it was. And, uh, you know, as Mike says, the other guy will not leave during crushing <laughs> next year. <laughs> Cancel the bike tour, honey. All right. Well, the next morning, just to, uh, you know, i, I got to say, all this worked out perfectly fine. There's no um, uh, lasting or uh, ill effects uh, going forward. But the second mistake I made, I balanced out everything, but I forgot to add the fruit pectin. I'd left all my notebooks, you know, here in the studio. I didn't have this at home. So now I'm doing everything from memory. I'm back on the UC Davis website. You're crushing our Cabernet. I'm crushing Cabernet. With all of your notes and information here in the studio. Adjusting tartaric acid, uh, wow. you know, potassium metabisulfite, everything from memory. Hopefully, this is our fourth year of doing it. Hopefully, I got most of this right, and I have subsequently checked the notes. But I forgot to put the fruit pectin in, which breaks down the um, the, the cellular membranes of the grapes, which I think accomplishes two things. It helps you get more color into the wine, but it also helps clarify the wine in the end. Your wine is going to uh, do better precipitation, mm-hmm. so your racking right. from the lees is going to end up uh, much cleaner. And so I get up Monday morning and uh, decide to, um, you know, i got to put in the fruit pectin. I remember the approximations, three-quarters of a, of a teaspoon into my 60-gallon vat at this point. And you can count drops or you can do the teaspoon measuring. So I pried off the top of the, the, this pectic enzyme, and I you know, poured in three-quarters of a teaspoon, three-quarters of a teaspoon, and I went to pop the top back on. Well, that stuff, as I pressed the top back onto that little squirter bottle, it shot out right into my eye. Now, <laughs> it didn't occur to me at first that having pectic enzyme so in your eye... <laughs> Would be a this reminds me of a junior high joke. Continue. Pectin eye. For sure. After about a minute, it felt like there was some onset of, you know, maybe it's like hay fever. And like but your eye looks really clear. <laughs> I've never seen your eyes look so clear, Dave. didn't look clear for long. By the time, like, five minutes had gone by, I'm under the sink. I'm rinsing this thing like heck. And it looks like the devil. I mean, that pectic enzyme had attacked my eye, and it's all totally red, and oh, it was horrible. It was burning, but it didn't happen right away. So <laughs> I learned two lessons. Don't run your wi- your 450-pound wine barrels down your basement steps by yourself, and wear safety goggles. Keep your pectin away from your eye. <laughs> Ay, 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 ay. So oh, it was uh, an interesting week without you. My heart's thumping over here. Wow. Uh, well, we've got some great, some <laughs> wonderful feedback here. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing here. Where the, now, see, I've always been a lower SO2 guy. Right, 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 right. I, I, know, I know the range is 50 to 100. But uh, Alpha King uh, and let's see, who else was? Mike was here. He said, keep the SO2 low. This is Mike now. Uh, malolactic in the barrel. Uh, some say it's always there and always going to occur. 
that may depend on barrel preservation. Well, we too, right? We actually had some problems with the O4 Merlot and malolactic fermentation due to pH that was too low. We were down around a 2.9 to 3.0, and that will suppress many malolactic bacteria. Um, actually, um, I want to go to Alpha King in a second. Uh, just to get his comments on adjusting the SO2 with attention to uh, pH and, and molecular SO2, um, which uh, there is a lot of developing knowledge. But uh, to answer one of Jerry's comments on the chat, and sorry, I had everybody muted. We were getting a little bit of uh, noise before. I'll unmute everybody. But Jerry, you asked a key question, what type of yeast? And one of the things that I find most exciting, most interesting is uh, – Splitting your batch of wine and using different yeasts on the different batches because different yeasts will add or yield different flavor components. And so what we did this year was with our cab from Lindy Vineyards, we had great luck last year with a, a yeast that was obviously not named by a marketing person, but it's called ICDV254. So on half of our Cabernet, we went with the ICDV 254, and on the other half, we went with the Premier Cuvée. On the Grenache, just to keep up the, um, the basic approach, we went with half Pasteur Red, which we used last year uh, to good effect. Not on a Grenache. This is our first year on Grenache, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, we certainly liked it, and I can't remember off the top of my head if it was the Zinfandel or the Syrah, where we used half Pasteur Red, but we did use it last year. It worked well. And then we went back to one that we'd used in 03 on the Zinfandel. Great color yield and some very interesting flavors, the Lalvin RC212. So the, the trick here that has really worked well for us was to pick two interesting yeasts, divide your grapes in half, and do one yeast on each half of, uh, of the batch. After fermentation, you can recombine, and you end up with a, a more complex uh, more sophisticated wine. So that's uh, that's what we did for, for yeast. Um, Alpha King, I am interested, uh, if you'll chime in here, with respect to uh, SO2 and pH. What has been your experience? What is your advice? Well, I was going to, um, I was typing in a formula that I used to um, <clears throat> arrive at the correct SO2. Um, what you need is... Um, for drinking, you need 0.8 milligrams per liter of free SO2, or molecular SO2, excuse me. And for preventing um, <clears throat> the wild yeast and bacteria, you need 2 milligrams per liter. So when you start out, you start at 2 milligrams per liter, and then at the end, you end up with 0.8 milligrams per liter. You don't run into any problems <clears throat> Excuse me, with... Um, with the, the leuconostoc, uh, right, excuse me, the malolactic fermentation. And out of curiosity, how do you measure your SO2? What has been your technique? Well, usually I get juice that doesn't have any SO2 in it, and I really don't fuss with measuring it. So you assume so it has zero it when has, you get it. It has, no, it has no SO2 by definition. And so then you just make adjustments uh, relative to pH. Now, that has not been our experience with the grapes coming from the vineyard. And do, you think, I, do you think that's because of shipping? They're spraying them with a, a light SO2 I solution? assumed, actually, that it was just part of the process late in the, um, you know, in, the, in the harvest that they are treating them with some kind of sulfur because we have found 
fairly significant variances in SO2, and, and so our practice has been to measure it. Um, we get yeah. these, these little uh, titrets. They're vacuum. Yeah, no, I have, I have those titrets. I mean, I got some Chardonnay juice just this past week, and, you know, I went through the measurement <clears throat> at your suggestion, actually, because I never usually use them. And sure enough, um, even though the, the container it came in said that was, there was a significant amount of sulfite in there, there turned out to be none at all. Wow. Interesting. And so <laughs> no, I, and that was that was consistent with the fact that the stuff the juice was fermenting when it arrived, you know, with the wild yeast. Oh, was it was it for starting ferment when you when you got it? Well yeah, I mean it was shipped from the Central Valley and <clears throat> You know, it was fizzing, you know, the, you know, the wasn't ready to explode, but it was underway. It was still 21 bricks, but, okay. you know, so then I made some adjustments, you know, add some sulfite, and then that, that fermentation stopped while I got my starter going. Now, are you in California, Alpha King? No, I'm uh, in northwest Indiana, right next to Chicago. Ah, okay, so you had to have it shipped. You ha Do you typically buy juice, or are you buying uh, the grapes? Well... I either get the stuff from Peter Brem or, yeah. or I get grapes that come into a wholesaler or juice. This year I was able to get, you know, fresh Chardonnay juice. Last year they had none, but I used it all up. <clears throat> now, by the way, uh, you you mentioned that you buy this uh, this juice and it comes shipped in these five-gallon uh, containers. You wrote us an email on uh, October <laughs> 6th, which yes. was a, a fascinating story. Rather than having me... Um, Read your email. Uh, tell us the story about the uh, frozen, well, supposedly <laughs> frozen Chardonnay that you got from uh, Peter Brem one year. Well, Delivered I mean, to your office, by the way. Right. I mean, this was <laughs> this was before I was getting it directly from Peter Brem because he wasn't doing the shipping. And what you know, I got it from Presky Isle, which is up in your neck of the woods, you know, northern Pennsylvania. I think it's northeast Pennsylvania, actually. It is. Yeah, Presque yeah. Yep, a little bit uh, outside of uh, Erie. I was just there uh, three weeks ago. Right, and they were trying to empty, empty their freezer at the end of the year, so they had some stuff for sale. Of course, it was frozen, and so I ordered it. I want to say it was May of that year. And, you know, just by chance, it came to, and I had it delivered to the office, you know, because somebody would be able to pick it up. You know, and this is a clinic, you know, where you see patients, um, and, um, you know, the truck, I mean, there was a hot spill at the end of May or something, and the truck stopped or something. So when it arrived, and these people didn't really know what was in these things, the um, it was you know, the plastic was domed. And that's a very, <laughs> Not a good sign. It's a very unsteady, a very unstable situation when you have fermentation under, under pressure. And um, they jostled it, and it blew up. <laughs> in the office, and they sprayed Chardonnay juice all over the carpet. I know. bet it smelled great. It smelled great, but it was incredibly sticky. <laughs> I bet it was. What a hey, story. Hey, Louis, you're in sample here. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought you were leading with that. Aye, Back aye, from aye. the lab, and it doesn't so look good. The staff loved the smell, I'm sure. but uh, Well, they loved it. They loved the smell. I was able to rescue. There were two five-gallon containers. The other one I took outside and put a needle in to relieve all the pressure. That's smart. But <laughs> but you're right. You can, you can. We had the same issue last year, and I forget which one of our grapes it was, but we had a grape. I think it was the Syrah. Was it not a passionate one? 
that had already started fermenting at the time we brought it in, and we hit it with the the potassium metabisulfite. It was actually the Zin last Was it the Zin? Year. It was, okay. The Zin was already fermenting when we got it, right. We hit it with the, uh, the, the, the SO2, which uh, most of the, or many of the natural yeasts are very susceptible to SO2. And so you put it up around 50 ppm, and that, it, I think it killed off what was there naturally. And uh, then, of course, the next day we hit it with our, our various yeasts, and uh, it started up and... Uh, I guess the, the bottom line is it worked out well. So whether it was either a good natural yeast that made it or our added yeast eventually overwhelmed what was there initially, uh, no issue. Now, Alpha King, you also, um, you've set the bar for the most spectacular package that we've ever received. Uh, came <laughs> in <laughs> since we did the last the show. Uh, you know, there was there was a little bit of a leak. At least that's my story to the passionate one yeah. who was out in California. Yeah, a lot happened while I was away. Arizona. I'm selling my bike. Uh, so we we got six bottles of uh, olive oil, and we've got them spread out across the studio here. And I must say, I, I like your style and labels. There's everything from Beautiful. a uh, a 92 Meritage, a 95 Syrah, another 01 Meritage, uh, the um, Aria and a uh, 04 Cabernet, and at one time there was a uh, a champagne. Which what what year did you make champagne? Was that 04? Uh, no, I think the um, it was. I started the fermentation in 2002, and last December is when I finished it. It took a longer because the first year I did did it, it the seal I had on the for the um, you know, CO2 production was not complete. So when it came to, you know, take the caps off, there was there was no CO2 in there. So mm. I had to do it all over again. Wow. And uh, you didn't that didn't cause a problem in that, uh, with the, of course, you would have fermented the first set of sugars anyway, the CO2 escaped, but now you've got higher alcohol, you were still able to get it to ferment a second time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Of course, and I always go for the winter months because I use the... Um, you know, the garage is the um, refrigerator, you know, when you get ready to disgorge it. Okay, so you... So, you, so I mean, I think I told you, I mean, last year when I did it, it was like minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit outside. And actually the, the champagne was, or the sparkling was super chilled so that actually when I add the, added the tirage, I mean, it was, um, it froze. So, but I didn't lose any CO2. Okay. That's the advantage there. But you just get frostbite, you know, that's all. I bet. Well, it um, it arrived, and the um, the champagne had probably leaked out uh, to the tune of two or three inches near the top of the bottle, but mm-hmm. it was still it was still relatively cold. Uh, it's you know, the nights are cooler now, and uh, I was worried that it would uh, both lose its gas and with the oxygen that had come into the bottle that it would not last, and so. Mm-hmm. I, I truly would have liked to have saved it until the passionate one came home, but uh, this was uh, what I think Wednesday of last week, so almost a week ago when it showed up. So I put it in my refrigerator that night, and when I got home Thursday night, I popped it open, and um, I must say it was absolutely delicious. I do have a question. Thank you. I, I do have a question for you. I mean, uh, first of all, it was spectacular in its color, its clarity. Um, the the fineness of the bubbles. I mean, it it compared to um, any 
uh, any grade of champagne I've uh, ever had, um, which typically I'm, I'm drinking champagne not regularly, but in the twenty to forty dollar range. So uh, compared very favorably, um, I, I am wondering. Um, champagne uh, is made at different levels of dryness or sweetness, if you will. Um, what what were you aiming for? Uh, I'll certainly share my thoughts. About I was aiming it. for a brute. I was aiming for a brute. Which is help me out because I'm I'm just not. No, I don't. You know, I don't have those things right in front of me. I'd have to look it up. But I mean, that it goes into your calculation of how much sugar to put in that syrup when you put it. Is gorge? Is brute on the sweeter side or the drier side? Do you recall? It be on the drier side. Okay, well, that, side. that would be my observation. I, I did find it very dry, and not mm-hmm. necessarily being a regular champagne uh, drinker, perhaps I have a, a palate that has a slight preference more towards uh, the sweetness. And so it definitely wasn't um, what um, – uh, it, it definitely was not bitter, but it was, it was on the very dry side for champagne relative to what I've, what I've consumed. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had, uh, uh, you must serve this to uh, many of your guests, some of whom are probably champagne aficionados and some of whom probably are complete novices. What's been the general reaction to your champagnes? Well, most people are amazed that I could can make such a thing. They really like it a lot. And i got to say... They think it's comparable to, you know, what they buy, you know, and it's, you know, it's only six dollars a bottle, so it's a it's a bargain. You know. Oh, it's an unbelievable bargain, and and it was extremely impressive on on many different levels. Thank you, thank you very much. So you've also sent us here this. Uh... I, I'd give my feedback, thing, but um, of course I didn't have any, so I'm just sitting here with my mouth open. I think he's uh, hinting there. Uh, so well, tell us your. I'll give you, I'll give you my address later. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, because the next bottle that shows up, I'm sure there will be some tragedy between my house yeah, and yours. Rich, I tried to get you some. Uh, okay, so tell us about your um, your Meritage, which was the first you said medal winning uh, wine you made, uh, a, a blend of a Cabernet Franc and a, a Merlot. Um, mm-hmm. And by the those way, those I, are. Got to co- com- commend you for extremely good notes. I think a lot of home winemakers fall down on not taking good notes. You've noted to the tenth of a point the bricks of each of your uh, grapes. You've noted the type of yeast you used, when it was fermented, how you find it, when you bottled it, and uh, of course the gold medals that you've won. So I love the level of detail that that you must. Uh, take in tracking the wines that you're making. I think that that is, uh, of all the things you can do right at the beginning, that is such a key one. Well, that wine was made with um, grapes that I got from Presque Isle. They're Peter Bremberg grapes. They're, let's see, both Napa Valley grapes, actually. And um, now I used the Montrachet yeast did a malolactic fermentation. Find it the traditional Bordeaux way with um, fresh egg whites. Did and you then, did you actually use real, honest to goodness fresh egg whites, or did you get oh, like, yeah. a reconstituted? No, I, no, no, no. I go out and try and find. Um, I usually buy fresh eggs for cooking, you know, from a farm, and I ask the person to get me absolutely fresh eggs because, in particular, because I needed to do this fining, and um, 
you know, they get a bottle of wine for it, but but they're fresh eggs. You know, it's really crucial. And and tell us a little bit about this. We've not done much fining at all, but the fining we've done has been with commercial products like Sparkaloid. So uh, and and by the way, mm. I did tour so the. Uh, work. Uh, I I toured the uh, uh, Chateau Lafitte winery in Bordeaux uh, back in 1991 or 92. I can't remember exactly right now. Um, And they also talked about fining their wines with egg whites. And as I understood the process, they simply place the whites on top of the wine to start with, and then slowly it sinks through the wine and, and fines it. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about the process there, because this is something we're not familiar with. Well, you separate the egg white, and as you would ordinarily, you add a touch of salt and some water, and then you try and, without making too many bubbles, try and make a suspension, because that the albumin sort of like in a colloid. And it sort of gets sort of a greenish-blue color, and then, well, I mean, one egg white would be good for you because you do 50 gallons. I'm always making like five-gallon batches, so I use a fraction of the egg white. One egg white is good for five gallons. And so then I take and mix it in the carboy, just pipette it in and stir it up, you know, very thoroughly. You know, and in a few days you see the coagulum sort of forming on the side of the carboy. So, I mean, that's what it's supposed to do. And you do that two weeks before you're going to bottle. Interesting. Now, does it... This is the rule I've learned. So you, you place you place the egg white solution with the, the with the water and salt in there and actually mix it up, or do you just pipe yeah, it and drizzle a, it over I've the top? A, I've got a little metal thing that goes down, you know, that you put on a drill and, you you know, you stir it up. So it's thoroughly mixed in the wine. And that's wine that's been racked. So, I mean, it's... There's nothing, there's no leaves to fiddle around with. I so find it's much, e- e- much easier to use than sparkaloids. Sparkaloids a, is a task, <laughs> my experience. I've used it. I use it with white wines. But. So you do this after you've racked a few times. You're not going to rack again after this other than to, uh, this would be the final racking after. after. Yeah, I rack, red wines are racked twice. In my my experience, I've done two times. That's all. Once you know early on to get off all the leaves, and then and then you know a year to eighteen months after the fermentation started, right before your bottle. Now, do you? This was sixteen years ago. Um, this this meritage. Do you still, um, all these years later, do fining in general and uh, with egg whites specifically? With all my it, reds, I do egg whites. I all use of your reds. This is a, a standard part of your process. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it what works pretty well? What do you What do you get out of it? What's the benefit? Would you say? And again, this is from guys. Oh, again, who, what I mean, what Emil, what Emil Pinot talks about, and you have to do. I mean, you'd have to do the experiment. Is it makes the red wine sparkle, and it's it's very. I mean, that's the way he described it. And if you if you do it to your reds, that's what you'll see. It'll just be different. It's hard to explain. It's, I mean, I'm sure your wine is very clear, but there's something that it just adds, and it's sparkling. Yeah, I could actually see where you're going from. Our wines, and you're right, they are very clear. We generally will rack three to four times, 
Um, but they are so dense in their their color that um, I don't know that I would characterize them as sparkling, although i got to say we love the density. It's almost like an ink as opposed mm-hmm. to something that is, uh, you know, maybe bright and sparkly. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, boy, we'll have to... Uh, uh, exchange a little bit uh, more technical. Well, you'll have to crack that bottle. Crack the bottle and look. I mean, it's drinking actually fairly well right now. Oh, I, I bet you're right. And and we would... And I had a bottle the other night because I didn't want to make... I wanted to make sure I didn't send you something and it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, at the next show, we will definitely go to the uh, 92 Meritage that you sent us. Since tonight we were doing a head-to-head competition of two different uh, Rutherford... Mm-hmm. or two different BV cabs, we thought it would be, um, you know, maybe a little bit too much to open the third. By the way, Mike um, uh, on the uh, chat comments that he uses something called bent- bentonite, um, another fining compound. I guess there are a bunch of different ones. We've we've not spent a lot of time fining. We've probably only fined maybe five to ten gallons of the hundreds of gallons of wine that we've made, but. Uh, based on what you've told us, I think we're going to have to do a little bit more experimentation and some A to B comparisons and see what we like. Hey, by the way, Passionate One, uh, back to A to B comparisons, and, and David also out in California. Um, what do you think about our uh, two wines now, head to head? Now there's no doubt that the Rutherford tastes fabulous. And I, I noticed the tannins are a lot heavier in the Napa than in the uh, Rutherford. At this point, and the the Rutherford's opening up really nicely. I'm just covering myself too with that. But no, it's really true. The Rutherford is opening up beautifully. I have, in fact, I'm I drank almost that whole bottle while you were talking there. <laughs> I was <laughs> yakking on the sparkling one I missed from Alpha King. Too long about the um, the the crushing and destemming. Although I apologize to listeners who got bored with that. It is just. To me, that is the most fun part of the process, save for maybe the night we do pressing, and you're still going to be around for that one. And, by the way, we've only so far processed 900 pounds of grapes. We're going to get at least one more batch, another 800 pounds. Carl has an uh, old vine Petite Syrah coming in from uh, he mentioned that Redwood Valley. Yeah. And uh, it hasn't arrived yet, but we are going to make a Petite Syrah this year. So I am so looking That's forward exciting. to that. That's exciting. David, what are your thoughts on, uh, you said you're working on the, the Napa. And by the way, having done the head-to-head myself, I am not finding a dramatic difference between these two. Although, as maybe you can hear, I'm a little congested from the uh, the red wines. There's something in this that's uh, maybe uh, getting to me. So maybe I'm not uh, so well qualified. But... Uh, I, I certainly feel like the Napa is a good choice. What, what do you uh, What do you think, David? I thought the Napa was a terrific bargain. Uh, I don't have any right now. I, I had it two weeks ago. I was noticing a very interesting uh, bit of dried tropical fruit on the nose. Like uh, it reminded me of a Maui Trail mix. Like uh, Maui Trail mix has macadamia and uh, it's uh, dried pineapple, dried papaya. So, <laughs> the passionate one I initially has opened it. His nose deep into the wine right now, looking for the same thing. I'm, well, actually, uh, trail mix is a great thing to take on a bike ride. I'm trying to figure out how to get this uh, Napa in my in my camel <laughs> bag. It's called the Boda bag. <laughs> the Boda bag. The Boda bag. 
if you've been in that candy store in Maui that has this trail mix, I mean, you would just like go, wow, there it is. You know? Well, David, I'm heading to Maui in three weeks, so I'm going to check that out. I'm going to bring one of my bottles of uh, BV Cabernet, head towards the uh, the Maui candy store, look for the trail mix with the uh, pineapple papaya macadamia, and um, I think it's going to be a good day no matter how it goes. Yeah, and, and I, but I've got to chime back in. I've got to tell you, the... the uh, the Rutherford is, is blowing the Napa out the back door right now. Well, okay, look, you've been serving yourself more. Pass those bottles back over here and let's, I'll let's finish try it out. I'll let you know how <laughs> I it bet was. you will. Okay, so Rutherford was in the gold-rimmed glasses, right? Yes, the, the Napa is, uh, the tannins are just really a little too overwhelming for me right now. On the, All on right, the pass Napa. that Napa back this way. There you we'll go. We'll try it out. Hey, I agree with you, other guy. I think the uh, tannins on the napper are a little overpowering at the moment. Probably needs to. Needs to sit. Needs to sit a couple of years, I think. Was that uh, Jerry out there? So you're you're testing the uh, the napa, or do you have both of them? I actually have both. Yeah. Do you? Oh, wonderful. Cool. Now, now what what do you? Uh, what's your but feedback thought, on the two? I really like the nose on the on the napa more than the Rutherford. But, and and I do too, especially when we first opened them. The, the nose on the on the Napa is why I I thought it was the better of the two wines. But, but the Rutherford, the Rutherford, you know, from that point of view, seems flat. But I but I think the Napa tannins are overpowering it a little bit for me anyway. Now it is an O3, so this is something yeah. you probably, if you like this wine, you should buy it. Keep it, you know, four or five years. I bet it would be much softer, more mellow. Alpha King, are you also uh, drinking the? Uh, you have the BV there. No, I don't have the BV. Oh, yeah, no, I have. I have. I'm sorry. I was thinking about the Latour. I don't have the Latour. Right. No, none of us have the Latour. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> none of us have the Latour tonight. And if anyone was to send us any, send it to <laughs> the other guy's address. <laughs> I, almost got, I almost had a bottle for 40 bucks. I mean, it was a good deal. But. Wait, whoa, 40 whoa, whoa, bucks whoa, whoa, for whoa. a Reel it back in here. Who said that? Was that Alpha King? Mm-hmm. Forty bucks. Forty bucks. What, you know, a half for bottle? a two thousand one. I think a two thousand one or two thousand. Wow. Wow. Last. That's when I couldn't find the ones that you recommended, but I was able to find them. Forty bucks. I would have sprung for that. The last bottle of George Latour I purchased. Uh, I was on vacation with my wife in Florida. Oh, I'm not even remembering when. About 1999 or so. We went down to uh, Sanibel Island. Uh, it's sub. Subsequently, got hit by a hurricane and it's been sort of wiped out. But we found in like a Safeway, you know, just a regular grocery store that had a wine section, which is so unusual for those of us coming from uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, BV, but it was uh, maybe 115 bucks, and I forget the exact year, but that didn't seem like totally outrageous to me. I, more than far more than I usually spend for wine, but I'm on vacation and. And so on. So I, I spent. I'm sure it was more than a hundred dollars last time wow. I bought George de Latour, and it might have been like a, a a 97, which would have been a current vintage in 99, 2000. And 97 was a particularly good year. 97, 94, two of their spectacular years. Um, still, if if I could lay my hands on any George de Latour for 40 bucks, I absolutely would. Well, so especially if it wasn't standing upright on a hot shelf in a Safeway, right? 
<laughs> well, that's yeah. Yeah, it was it was next to the sunscreen lotion, so I don't know. Well, actually, Tim, <laughs> if you bring that up, oh gosh, you know, we've we've we're well into the show, and I knew we were going to have trouble, and and it's been an hour, and so we're going to have to uh, continue another night and get into all of the email. We we got far more email this week or two weeks, I guess, than we usually get, which is fantastic. And uh, love to see the email. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. But to the point. Got a uh, message from Darren in, I believe Darren's in Australia, although there's a possibility New Zealand. You know, it's on the other side of the world. I confuse these two places. Either way, the so, corkscrew goes the other way down there. Yeah, no Darren from it. Australia or New Zealand. Uh, after listening to your last show, he says, where the effect of warm weather on grape growing was mentioned, I was reminded of this article I saw recently. And he include, included something from the... Uh, news.com.au. I guess that's not New Zealand. That's Australia. So, hey, there's a clue. <laughs> and uh, it's titled, now get this, Winemaker Sprays Grapes with Sunscreen. Uh, it's not easy being a grape during a scorching California summer. So this is Australia, but writing about California. A renowned winemaker in Napa Valley has come up with an unusual and surprisingly effective way to stop his cherished fruit from withering on the vine. He sprays it, honest to God, that's what it says here, with sunscreen. May conjure up odd images of grapes lounging on deck chairs, reading airport novels, but the solution has worked. Californian grapes, like the starlets in Hollywood, use a Factor 35 moisturizer and spray-on tans, and they have remained, you'll be happy to know, wrinkle-free. So uh, apparently this guy is at the Quintessa Vineyard, and uh, that's hysterical. Th- yeah, it's uh, honest to God, this is not made up. Uh, grapes with sunscreen. Although, I- if you think about it, other than the taste of the sunscreen, which couldn't be good, I do get the point. It would probably sunscreen is reflective. It's going to bounce some of the sun's rays, and on a hot year, maybe that works. I tell you what passionate one. I'm going to throw it to you for one other news item. We're just going to have to come back another day to all of the emails and news. Next week we'll be back. We'll get into all this, but do you have one news well, item you're going to share with item, us? just one news item. We're over an hour, but let me, let, me, let me share one news item here. This is from sgvtribune.com. So you know this has to be true. <laughs> of course. And the title of the article is New Study Questions Whether Red Grapes Are Healthier Than White Ones. Now, a lot of, lot of um, articles have been printed in both wine magazines and some of the journals I get at my office about the um, healthy benefits of red wine particularly. And the belief is that the, the old thor- thor- uh, theory goes, according to this article, that the, the um, the antioxidants, um, and, and according to this article, flavon- flavonoids. flavonoids, flavonoids, flavonoids. The old flavonoids are coming from the um, from the skin, and not so much from the pulp or the meat of the. I could buy that. Yeah. It's the skin. That's where the color is. Right, right. And that is they attribute a lot of the health benefits to the skins, which is why, of course, the um, health benefit of the red has always been believed to be better better than the white. Right. But surprisingly, according to this article, um, that there, he's discovered that it is actually coming from the pulp and not as much from the skin. 
Um, and I'll just quote this quickly. The results indicate for the first time that the flesh of the grape is equally cardioprotective as from the skin, and the antioxidant potential of skin and flesh of grapes are comparable with each other, despite uh, the fact that flesh does not possess any, um, what is it, anthocyanins? <laughs> you got activity. me. You're, you're the guy who had chemistry class. I, yeah, but I skipped it. Um, so, but... The interesting part, and this is what I, why I love these health benefit articles, yeah. because here's the next paragraph. Um, the okay, but the study was conducted on rats. Now, <laughs> I've got to tell you something. Rats, it's always the rats. The rats are giving this stuff. You know, when I come back, I, 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 if I, if there is anything as reincarnation, I want to come back as a lab rat. <laughs> I want to sit around and say, hey. I'll be known as the other rat. <laughs> you know, you'll be drinking. The, you'll be smoking. Give the, <laughs> hey, hey, look, the other rat looks pretty good over there. What's he doing? You know, they always give these things to rats, and, and they test them, so they give them white juice and red juice, and, and they're not having heart attacks. Well, heck, I'm going, I'm going to be a, a lab rat in my next life. Um, but um, this doesn't seem real conclusive. He doesn't cite any studies. I just think it's an opinion of a guy that likes white wine. Is this another guy who didn't have a medical degree running some, you know, medical school someplace? If he doesn't quote anyone, it's, I think it's his his opinion. But um, the last paragraph says that um, uh, that uh, of course, you know, this is always drinking one to two four ounce glasses per day. Um, so I don't know what that equates to a rat. You know, I'll take two if glasses. a rat is I'll, taking for, two glasses of four ounces of wine. That's we should be able to have six, seven bottles I a day. A few bottles is wonderful. Absolutely. Um, and, and one last thing, and I have noticed this, and this may lead to what you referred to earlier about how you're reacting uh, to, to red wine. And this has happened to me. From uh, time to time. Uh, there are drawbacks. If you have a histamine sens- sensitivity, stay away from red wines, as it may trigger a reaction. Likewise, those who suffer from migraines should avoid it. Many migraine sufferers have a sensitivity to red wine. Well, I've had a migraine, but I think it was because of the three or four bottles of red wine. Yeah, that'll cause a migraine in pretty much anybody. By the way, okay, so it's been one heck of a week. We got these beautiful stemless uh, goblets from from Jerry. We got the six bottles of, well, five bottles of red wine and and the champagne from Alpha King. Uh, We also had a listener (laughs) probably listen to... Episode 18, where I so badly butchered the... Oh, uh, you could listen to any episode. <laughs> True. We, we butcher the English language like no other wine But uh, we have received the Pocket Guide to Wine Pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> Pocket Guide. Uh, we, we need the unabridged We version. do. We do. Wheel uh, this, it in on this a has, This has a lot of wine words in it, and I'm just uh, looking up this, uh, this one. You'll all remember the... Uh, well, I won't pronounce it how I... Re- uh, said it back then, but uh, it turns out that it's Maréchal Fosh. Fosh. Maréchal right. Fosh is how you're supposed to say it. And let's just not embarrass anybody. But from now on, passionate one, you are in charge of ah. wine pronunciation. Excellent. Now I have one last story. Answer a couple of um, uh, other chat questions here on the uh, internet, and uh, then we should wrap it up. Um, by the way, in case I, I forget. 
you can send us email. And we love to receive email, and we will read most emails on the air. Uh, we're even going to get to the collection we've got from this past couple of weeks next week or the week after. It's a busy time with all the crushing and destemming and pressing and so on, but we're having such a blast. But you can send us email at sellerdwellers at talkshoe.com. Now, I have one more uh, story here, one more news item. comes out of the China Daily. Uh, fine wine is apparently the latest in chic among China's nouveau riche. Nouveau riche. Uh, it turns out that... <laughs> you it, must have read the... <laughs> Point pronunciation. Well, they didn't have Chinese name pronunciation, so I'm probably going to butcher this guy's name. But it's more or less Zhang Yuchen, Y-U-C-H-E-N-G, Yuchen. I think that's right. He's a real estate magnate in Beijing, and he likes French wine. Now, get this, passionate one. You think you've got a collection. He has built a wine cellar with 2,000 bottles of France's Chateau Lafitte. 2,000 bottles just of, of Lafitte. Lafitte. Just 2,000 no bottles of Lafitte. Oh, good God. And just to top it off, he has built a $125 million replica of the Chateau Maison Lafitte on top of his wine cellar. So I figure he's got at least $150 million into this thing. This is a guy we got we got to get to know. we got to have him on like a future <laughs> cellar dwellers show. So uh, I'm sure he's listening out there. Uh, Zhang, Zhang, however you say your name. Hey, Zhang, listen, buddy. If we send you a couple bottles of our wine, how about shooting some of that Lafitte over here across <laughs> right, the phone? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll even send you some of our 05 cab. What the heck? Hey, the 03-Zen, nothing <laughs> is too good for you. Yeah, we'll exchange some olive oil. All right, so uh, a couple of uh, chat questions. Uh, both Jerry and uh, David wanted to know, what was the uh, total acidity of the grapes that we got? Apparently, people have been having a lot of problems with uh, grapes that were way too high in total acidity. This year? This year. This year, yeah, getting okay. outrageously high. Like, um, I, I had a... Uh, we'll get to the email probably next week, but one of our listeners had a, a TA of 1.4%, which is uh, tremendous. So you want to be around maybe 0.7%, about half of that, if you're talking about red wines. We actually had pretty low um, titratable acidities on our wines, 0.5%, 0.55%. So we're going to be adding some teric acid. Frankly, we should have added it already, although it's very early in the fermentation stage. You just, just don't want to let it go too long. So uh, we we didn't get uh, we didn't have the problem of uh, too much uh, TA or too low a pH. And I think the uh, the idea is uh, if you harvest grapes too early, you get too much acidity. Remember, we learned that in one of the past shows. Apparently, uh, Ms. Lindy and whoever is picking the Grenache did a good job. So uh, we're in a good range. I really like the idea of being able to add acid as opposed to having to take acid away. Taking acid out is one heck of a challenge and uh, not a very good process. It can have some negative side effects. All right, well, with respect to next week, next week we are going to have the uh, for our virtual wine tasting. Now, we will be tasting the... Uh, 1992 uh, Meritage from Alpha King. Anyone who can grab a bottle of that, feel free to taste along with us. <laughs> Not a problem. But for the rest of you, 
We will also be tasting the 2003, or David, if you can get the, uh, if you, since you can't get the fresh stuff, go for the 02, uh, Clos du Bois. Actually, I didn't even look that up. Is that uh, Clos du Bois, or is it Clos du Bois? We do have, we do have I've got to say, a city here in Pennsylvania, D-U-B-O-I-S. And it's Dubois. And it's Dubois. I Not mean, Dubois. <laughs> of course, we also have a city. But that's because they have low taxes there. <laughs> if the taxes were high, we'd call it Dubois. Dubois. Right. right. And we have another city that in, in France would be pronounced Versailles. But no, here in Pennsylvania, it is Versailles. But... Uh, it's going to be the 03 Cabernet Sauvignon from Sonoma County, Claude Dubois, for the virtual wine tasting next week. And, so, and, and what uh, what's that going for here, Dave? Uh, <laughs> I forgot. Now, you're making such fun of me about <laughs> taping the receipt to the bottle. Is the Claude Dubois on the receipt? Take a look there, passionate one. Is it you, on you, the you, receipt? You bought one good stinking bottle of wine in your life, and you keep tape, tape, <laughs> taping the same receipt to every bottle. Week after week. The Clos du Bois. Is Clos du Bois on there? By the way, I looked it up in our little wine pronunciation, and you are totally correct. Oh, Clos that's a du Bois. first. That's a first. Yeah, we knew that one anyway. Clos du Bois was fourteen ninety nine, fifteen smackers here in PA. That sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. So, so David, seven dollars, California. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Six ninety nine. All right. All right. And Mike, uh, Mike did note that uh, China has apparently, you know, they're well known for knockoffs of the, uh, you know, the the Rolexes. I, I got a nice ten dollar Rolex one time, and when that thing broke, I honestly thought seriously about mailing it back to the factory in Switzerland. <laughs> I thought that would have been so brilliant. I didn't have the guts to do it, but uh, apparently the latest uh, Chinese counterfeit is uh, producing knockoffs of rare wines. Now. Now, that you know, seems tough to pull off. Yeah, that's really tough to pull off. It's Unless just, you're in Gray Mountain, Arizona, where all they have is the <laughs> right. In which case, I'm sure you'd go for a fine bottle of, what was it last time? The, the 17, no, it was the 1782 Thomas Jefferson Chateau Lafitte or whatever the predecessor was. So, uh, oh, man. Well, hey, you've... Uh, Wasted another good another hour good with the evening. cellar dwellers, but you've made it to the end of the show. It's a miracle. We'd love to hear from you. Love all the feedback and comments and yeah, questions. Yeah, this is advice. so much more fun when people call in and it's interactive. So, uh, Very Jerry, cool. David, Alpha King, Mike, uh, all of the other listeners live out there, all of the other people who are sending us email or, more importantly, <laughs> sending us their homemade olive oil. Uh, you know, keep it up. It's fun. We run this show in general, uh, 9 o'clock, Tuesday night, Eastern Time. Uh, please call in. We're at 724-444-7444. All divisible by four. Talkcast ID 18. Of course, you need to sign up and get a pin. Download the software at TalkShoe.com. But we'd love to have you join us. We'll uh, share virtual tasting notes with you. We'll answer your wine questions. And, uh, hey, it's been another blast. Uh, Mr. Passionate, want any closing remarks? Just thanks for everyone uh, chatting tonight. It was lots of fun. It, it does makes, seem like the, the, show a lot of fun to the do. general consensus, uh, both uh, Alpha King and Jerry were chiming in with respect to their own personal opinions and their wives, that the Rutherford for an extra $4 was worth the investment, but you've got to let it breathe. 
seems to be the consensus. That's my that's my opinion too. Good All deal. All right. Well, thanks everybody. We'll be back in uh, a week on a Tuesday night, nine o'clock, coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Cheers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.